I'm just never done this. Did you not bring your tablet? Uh, I did. But I did not think to do that. Well, so here we are. Face to face. Episode 9, no, week 917. Who knows what the episode number is at this point. Uh, of the Crankcast. I am Crank, that's Mike. Mike's on his phone. I am. Do I sound okay? Yeah. That's interesting. Um... So Mike's on his phone because he's in Memphis. I'm in Memphis. I just got here. For free comic book day. Free comic book day. 2023. People in Memphis will know. I would hope so. But that's where I'll be. At the library. Come see me and John Ostrander. E. And that's one to grow on. He he wrote he wrote Grimjack. Grimjack. He wrote he. He, he's he's the guy that made the Suicide Squad that everybody knows about, oh. even though it's not the one that he made up. It did have Deadshot on it. Well, there you go. John Ostrander. And Captain Boomerang. Which, I you know, I know his name, but I don't actually think I've read most of what he, <laughs> you know. You, you, you've definitely read a comic he's written. He's written a bunch of them. Probably, but I, I don't think I've written anything that he's probably... Like, I, I think maybe I've read an issue or two of Grimjack? He's definitely written stuff you've read. Did he do any, uh, like, Legion of Superhero stuff? Uh, maybe. He's written everything. Hmm. Well, well, there you go. Mike and somebody who's worked a lot more than he has. Uh, absolutely written a lot more. He's, uh, let me see, what has he done? What? If you mess with your phone, you're accidentally gonna hang up on me. I'm gonna hang up on you. I wanna hang up on you. Um, did the old Captain Adam, uh, from the 90s. Yeah, didn't read it. Um,. Did some Firestorm. Might have read some of that. Green Lantern Corps, Hawkman, Volume 3, Get Hawk World, Get JLA. Um, Hawkman, Get Hawked. He's <laughs> uh, done a lot. Secret Six, Spectre, Suicide Squad. Okay. Wait, Secret Six, the one from the eighties? Oh wait, no, Secret Six was the one with the all the mystical characters, right? I think so. Like uh Damien Hellstrom and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Or Damien. He did Warp. Remember Warp? No. 
That's the first comic. How about Dynamo Joe? Mm, I yeah, that was on that was like on an indie label, wasn't it? His first comic. First. Had yeah. a crossover with Grim Jack. I think I have some old back issues of Dynamo Joe. Where are you going, Dot Mojo? I guess at this point they would all be back issues of Dynamo Joe. Yeah. yeah. He's done a lot of stuff. Sure has. Okay. So now I'm in a hotel. Well, that's nice. Did you have to go down there by yourself? Uh, yeah. They flew me down. Oh, well, you shouldn't have to spend hours in a car by yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, just, just sitting around, enjoying the Memphis and May Music Festival is this weekend. Hmm. So, there's something I do not. Do. Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to go down there, but. <laughs> um, what can you tell me about Knoxville? What can I tell you? It's where the University of Tennessee is. It's on the northeast tip of the state, uh, near uh, West Virginia and um, North Carolina and all that stuff. I hear West Virginia is for lovers. Uh, that's what they say, but they don't say who the lovers are. Right. I guess whoever wears a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. I uh, I uh, heard from an uncle I hadn't talked to him in a while recently, and apparently he moved up to Knoxville from Florida. Interesting. And, uh, a lot of hillbilly, a lot of rednecks in Knoxville, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, dude bros in Knoxville. Huh. Uh, I went to the World's Fair in the '80s in Knoxville. Back when they still had those. Yep. They did a Simpsons episode that takes place in Knoxville, and they go to the Sun Sphere, which is the thing that they built for the World's Fair, and they run their car into it, and the gold ball at the top falls off. <laughs> Very Simpsony. It used to be a a rotating restaurant in there. Oh, like like that Space Needle thing in Portland. Or whatever. Not Portland, Seattle. Mm-hmm. Seattle. I guess. I didn't know there was a restaurant there. And I think Cincinnati actually used to have a spinning restaurant a long time ago. They have one at the top of the... Uh, uh, I forgot the name of the place already. The 007 uh, restaurant in Switzerland I went to. Oh, yeah? At top of the mountain. Not sure how I feel about it. I mean, I guess technically we're always all rotating because we're on Earth. But I'm not sure how I feel about a rotating restaurant. All right. I mean, I'm guessing it doesn't spin enough to, like, upset your dinnerware or anything. Uh, You know, if you go by the movie uh, that just came out, uh, Ghosted, starring Chris Evans and Anna de Armas, there is a setting on those restaurants that makes it so fast that it's like the gravitron at the at the uh, fair. You oh, know, sure, where you're held to the windows by a centrifugal force. Yeah, it, yeah, it holds you to the windows by centrifugal force. 
And I remember watching that go, why would they have that setting in a restaurant? <laughs> That's insane. That's why, like, what I always wondered in movies when, when something would have a self-destruct system. Why? Right, yeah. Why would, you, why would you have a self-destruct system you couldn't shut down? Like, mm. it doesn't make any sense. That movie is so dumb. That movie is so dumb. Is it? Yeah. Some of it's some of it's entertaining, but most of it is just really hard to watch because it's so dumb. I'd probably sit through it just for Anna de Armas. I mean, she's really pretty. I think that's the only that that's probably what they were banking on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But. There's there's movies like that, sure. Um. So, yesterday I had a, a pair of comely young women compliment my hat. Your engineer hat? Yeah. And then they proceeded to ask me if I wanted to talk to them about Jesus. Oh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> I was like, uh, thanks, no thank you. <laughs> and then I, I backed away through the door. <laughs> you know. That's well. I'm sorry. Smart move sending out a couple of cute young chicks, though. That's definitely what they're going out for. I mean, you know, it's just uh, I think that's just good marketing. Mm. Um, what else is new? I don't know. I've been. I haven't worked on our songs. I talked to Marty, and he's real interested in that. Why? I don't know. Well, because he's a song, he's my songwriting uh, mentor guy. Oh, well, that may, yeah, makes sense. I mean, he's being plugged. He wants to hear it. He, in fact, he seemed a little jealous. He was like, well, you know, I could come up with ideas for you to work on, too. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. I don't think he's getting the point of what we're doing here, though. No, uh, it's fine. I, I was like, yeah, that, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to work on them. I just haven't. I've been, I really have been practicing a lot, like working on the like little chop stuff. I need to learn how to play songs, though. I, uh, I mean, it's not like I'm writing songs for you to do something with. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving you like jump pads for stuff. We're, we're writing mm. some stuff together. That's all. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna ruin it. Maybe. Yep. And then when you send All me some... I'm getting some didgeridoos. <laughs> and then when you send me something that you wrote, I'll ruin it. So. No! <laughs> Sometimes I just don't know where I'm supposed to put a bit of dialogue. Yeah. Not that I can't find room for it in this instance. In this instance, I just don't know where it's coming from. And it's not listed as being off screen. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Weird. Mm. Weird. Maybe I'll just make it a tailless balloon and leave it at that until somebody tells me where it's supposed to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is my day. (laughs) I I just came here. uh, My friend Mike V is going to come pick me up and we'll get some dinner. No. I thought he was living, like, over in Jersey or something. No, that's my buddy, Ron. Ron, okay. 
Mike V was the uh, the guy that traveled around with um. He didn't travel around with Wilco. He went to see. He was like a Wilco fan. Right. Well, he was like the yeah the Wilco version of the Deadheads. Like right. Yes. That's, yep. what I, that's what I meant. When I say he traveled around with them, I didn't mean he was hanging out with them. I just meant he was like a you know. Yeah. In indigent, not indigent, indigent. No, itinerant. I don't know what you're saying. Somebody that doesn't have somebody who's rootless and just travels around like a nomad, you know. Yeah. Well, he's definitely not that anymore. Mm, got too old for the game, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right on. I don't think I ever met right. him. I just remember you mentioning his name. I'm sure you met him. Because I think it was back in like 03 or 04 when we were still in the first office. There was a Wilco show in town or something that he came. Yeah. But I don't really remember. Um. Oh, but yeah, back to those songs. That's, that's okay. I haven't had a chance to think about them since I sent them to you, really. That's fine. Um, I need to start working on something. I do wonder how we're going to work this out, though, because if I did, if I did start thinking of things I want to change, but you're already listening to the ones I've sent you, then what? Do I just send you an update? We could, or. Do we sit down and work out an arrangement so we know that it won't change too much? We'll see. Just not really sure how it works like this. Usually if I'm working with somebody, like we're in the same state. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, I'm just saying I don't really know how this works. Like, I don't know. Like, how did uh, Ben Gibbard and what's-his-name from Dintel or whatever do it when they made the Postal Service stuff? Well, I mean, they were probably working on the same DAW. <laughs> that might be a problem for us. I don't know how it works. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've been given con- like consideration again to maybe picking up like a Mac Mini or something. Yeah. Just to make it easier to work, like, so we could just straight trade project files back and forth or something. You know? you know, I've got an old iMac if you want. I'd just have to get it down there. Is that the one that wouldn't work with an updated version of whatever it was you were using? Oh shit! Good point. Yeah, that's what I was, <laughs> I, that's what I was looking. I was thinking I might have to buy one. It's like, like if I buy a last year's model, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I should be all right, at least for a couple of couple of seasons of upgrade software or whatever. Are you still working in GarageBand or are you working in Logic? Uh, I mean, GarageBand's easier for me, but I got Logic, and I'm trying to make myself learn how to use it. It's just got so many complicated tools in it, you know, and garage bands almost like for cool. dummies. Right. Uh it's super powerful. It's just way more uh intuitive for people that don't know things. Um but the thing is, you know, if you use GarageBand you kinda know your way around uh logic. It's kind of the same controls, just a lot more of them. Right. And I just need to get back in the, I just need to start get back in the habit of recording stuff like the whole uh getting I'm going to have to get used to everything again, you know, cuz it's been a long time. Sure. So. I um Yeah, I so I was I was looking at like more recent. They just came out with a Mac Mini this year that's got the what is it? M2 Pro chip 
thing in it or something, I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, M1's going to be good enough. Yeah, but I'm trying to figure out how to, like, I, I know I can't completely future-proof it, but, like, how to get... Yeah, somewhere. you're not going to... You're not going to be able to, but I'm just trying to think of a way to make it not super expensive. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to figure out how to like give it some sort of longevity because I'm not going to buy a new Mac every two years or whatever, you know. Oh man, I didn't like this this new one that I got. It didn't realize it'd been like twelve years since I had a computer, new computer. Yeah, I um, and I mean, I do um, want that new Cintiq though. Honestly, it's, this stuff is probably mostly just what I'm going to use it for, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah. it's not like I really need a full-on work machine out of it or something, you know? Like mm-hmm. something that's good enough just to handle what we're doing and whatever. I, um, oh, so, yeah, after I sent you that stuff and I realized that guitar I was working with was out of the intonation was off on it. Um which I didn't know before because it it's the one I keep down in my living room and I just play it and it played fine to itself. Like You alright? Yeah. Oh okay. I thought I heard something going on. Anyway, um like it played fine to itself. If I played a chord up on the twelfth fret from string to string, it wasn't like out of tune. Um, but yeah. I noticed when I went to go, there was one song that I sent you that had two guitar parts playing at the same time, and one was up high and one was down low. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really noticed it that, like, oh, so this thing's not intonated, right? <laughs> yeah. Know? Which, it, it's not an expensive guitar, and I made some changes to it, and I probably just got it close enough, and that was fine because it was just sitting in the living room. Didn't worry mm-hmm. about it after that. But I sat down to go ahead and, and re-intonate it, because I wanted to lower the action on it a little bit anyway, um, mm-hmm. after playing it, like, to record with. Um, so I sat down, and I took care of that, and that was fine. I got it fixed now, so when I use that one again, it'll be fine. But then I was like, well, I might as well go ahead and check the Rickenbacker bass, because I wanted to lower the action on that, because ever since I got it, I thought the action was a little high on it. And... um I sat down and, you know, I checked the tuning on it and immediately I checked the intonation on it to see if I'd have to do anything to that. My God, that thing was so far out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think anybody bothered to set it up. All the saddles were all the way forward, like, just lined up with each other, which I guess if <laughs> I if I would have looked at it, I would have thought something was hinky about that. But I, I didn't because, you know, it's an expensive instrument. You would have figured somebody along the line somewhere would have set it up. Yeah. Um. It's not like, I mean, it's like in, it's usually in situations like recording that people even notice the intonation. Well, yeah, because when you're just playing by yourself, you don't really, you wouldn't really have any reason to, you know? Um, so I start getting that set, I start lowering the action, and I start running into problems immediately. Um, I had to bottom out the E saddle, low E saddle, and it's still, the action was kind of high on it. I'm like, uh, Okay, <laughs> you know, um, and I looked up online, and apparently that's a thing. They switched bridges a couple of years ago to a, a new style bridge, and there was mm-hmm. some speculation online that maybe they were building the bodies to the specs of the old bridge or something. Mm-hmm. Um, because I saw several 
instances of people complaining about it bottoming out their saddles and still having too high an action. Um, and when I went to go set the intonation again on the E saddle, I had to crank that thing back to the point where I could barely turn the screw anymore. Like, to get the intonation right. <laughs> so, I'm like, oh, oh, so this is what, you know, spending extra money on an instrument gets you. Absolutely nothing. It's like, gah. And I, and for a minute there, I hated that bass. I was like, I, I don't, I'm sorry I ever bought this thing, you know. Uh, <laughs> I kept messing with it, and finally I, I went ahead and I adjusted the, um... I, I added a little more relief to the neck to straighten it out a little bit mm-hmm. um, so that it would help with that bottomed out uh, saddle, like to give me a little more, get me a little closer to the neck. So I did that and I um, went back and forth with that and I set the intonation across the, the uh, rest of the strings and let it sit because when you're messing with the neck, with the relief in the neck, you know, you, you're supposed to do it in small increments, let it set, then retune everything up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I did that, and, and by the time I got back around to messing with it, and I got it close enough, and it's uh, at least intonated now. So, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a Rick. It looks like a Rick. It plays fair to Midland, I guess. <laughs> Do you like it anymore? I don't hate it now. Because I, I, I swear that when I was first setting it up that first night, I'm like, fuck this thing. I'm, I'm never buying another goddamn Rickenbacker again. Mm-hmm. What it does do, or what it did do, though, was like I got kind of spoiled because I had a ring or a run of good luck on buying instruments without playing them first, but they were all cheap instruments. Mm-hmm. So when I say they were good enough, like I mean in context of the fact that you know I was spending under under two hundred dollars on them or something, you know, like you know at that price point you're going to have to do a little something to it. Whether it's, I don't know, you know, smoothing out the frets or adjusting the intonation on the bridge or doing something to it. Like, you, you just expect that at that price point. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but by and large, you know, I had a really good run of luck on getting fairly well-crafted instruments, even dead cheap ones. Um, but I don't think I'm ever going to spend that kind of money on a single instrument again without playing it first. Because... There's just too many variables, and, and it, it didn't help that because I bought it in the middle of my crazy period last year, I um <laughs> I didn't really get to play it all that much, so I didn't notice there were problems with it until I'd already had the bass for eight months. So it's not mm-hmm. like I could just take it or send it back to the store or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, part of it's like my bad, you know, and part of it's the fact that this thing probably didn't get very good QC coming out of the factory. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I, it's just luck of the draw, I guess. But I, I'm not an isolated case. Like I said, I've seen other problems mentioned. So, mm-hmm. um, but whatever, you know. I've got it. I bought it. I should use it. I just don't yep. get it. Um, yeah. and I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if you could tell in the the uh, music sketches I sent you, but I was using the Rickenbacker on that. Yeah. Huh? It's got I mean, that. I mean, it's got that sound. It sounds like a dirty Rick. You are a dirty Rick. It sounds like a sex thing, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does. 
Like a Boston Stinger like or something? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so, anyway. Um, I've been reading some... Oh, I got spider web on my face. Yuck. I walked into a spider web outside. Um, I'm going to go outside. So on the balcony, taking some sun. Well, I mean, my friend Mike's on his way over here anyway, so I might as well just go out there and wait. Oh, okay. That way I can tell you when I'm done. Done with you. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, I've been reading some old school dystopian fiction. What else is new? Well, I haven't really done that in a while, I don't think. I feel like you've been talking about it pretty recently. Well, that's because we're kind of living in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, you were just talking about regular things. I was probably just, yeah, (laughs) talking about what was going on right now. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. You were just talking about the news. Yeah, pretty much. Um... So, yeah, like, I read 1984 in my teens at some point, and then I read it again, like, in my early 20s, and then I uh-huh. just, I haven't touched it again. I saw the movie when I was a kid, but I don't think I got it. Yeah. Um, so I reread that first, because I, I, I've actually got this big volume of collected dystopian fiction <laughs> that includes, like, Orwell and um, Aldous Huxley and, uh, what's his name, Sinclair, the It Can't Happen Here story. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm reading right now. Um, and it's also got like some H.G. Wells and, and a bunch of other people in it. It's, not, it's like a really thick book. Um, but uh, I've forgotten that 1984 is a thoroughly, thoroughly depressing book. Really? You forgot that. <laughs> I, well, like I said, I haven't read it in a long time. I, I forgot that it's one of those things. And, you know, you kind of get used to modern dystopian fiction, which a lot of times still has a hero that comes out okay in the end. Yeah. And in 1984, no, no, nope, there's no good ending. <laughs> yeah. It leaves you feeling a little hollow and, and just depressed inside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of like the, the template for all of that, isn't it? Well, like, it can't happen here, happen or was published first, before, before that. Uh, uh, there was H.G. Wells stuff that was published before that, obviously. Um, but he, I, it's, as I recall of H.G. Wells stuff, he, even that, I think there was still a hero that came out. Not, yeah, he doesn't have, like, bummers. Yeah. This was that, that post-war British, I think, mentality of just, this sucks. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know the the Japanese make a lot of 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 uh, entertainment like that too, and I think it directly has to do with the amount of bombs that you get dropped on you. Probably, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's got to change your cultural outlook. You know? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, because none of this, you know, this stuff was not like it's not like reading Hunger Games where there's a hero that wins at the end or anything like. And a, a, a bad regime that's overthrown or nothing, you know? Yeah, all of our dystopian stuff is about uh, an evil government and teenagers that are perfect. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so I've, I've followed that up with Animal Farm, which I don't think I've read before. 
but it's made its way enough into the culture that I more or less knew what it was. Yeah, sure. Um, so I read that, and that is, is just as much of a bummer as 1984, but because it's all animals, you can kind of distance yourself from it a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's even worse. Well, it is, but like I said, they're animals, so it's not us. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like watching Bugs Bunny and and, and, and Daffy Duck be horrible. Right. And I guess they were horrible, but they were horrible in a funny way, not in a real way. Or like Tom and Jerry. Yeah. I guess. But, but yeah, I mean, it's just as much of a bummer as 1984, but it's uh, the concepts, though. I, I think that's what rings the most, because, I mean, it's, it's intentionally, it's anthropomorphized animals to be like a satire kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, this stuff um, with his books are directly just a reaction to the communism, the Russian communism at the time. Um, they're sort yeah. of like a like a, a you know com- communist paranoia, I guess you'd say. Sure. Um, but also just authoritarian governments in general. I mean, they just came out of the Second World World War, you know, where you had fascists mm-hmm. left and, left and right. Yeah. Um. Notably, and I'd also read Brave New World before, which again is very similar, like in theme, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's just a reaction to Russian communism again, but uh, and it's also depressing, but not as depressing as 1984. We <laughs> need to read some happy stuff. Well, I'm reading it can't happen here now, which is set in America this time. Um. <sighs> And it's okay. So here's the weird thing about this book because I'm only um, maybe a third of the way into it so far. Yeah. And I, I again, it's made its way enough into the culture that I vaguely already knew what it was about, but mm-hmm. I, I've never read it before. Um. So this book was published in 1935, and it's basically about a uh, a con man populist that that makes his way into the presidency and then takes it over and turns the government oh, into a fascist yeah. government. Yeah, okay. Sound familiar? Yeah. Um, now, the odd thing about this is, okay, so it was published in '35. The writer, I think his last name is Sinclair, um, he couldn't know that, that Roosevelt was going to win in such a huge landslide in '36. <laughs> you know? um, and he was, I, I guess, basically, he was writing about legitimate fears of what could happen to our government in that time period. Yeah. And as it turns out, it very well could happen to our government. <laughs> so, um, the other weird thing about reading it is the the bad guy character, the guy that con man that gets to be president, is actually he's running under the Democratic Party. I mean, it. I would have thought that. I mean, usually you think of like a. I don't know. It's dumb to say. I wouldn't have thought that Trump would have been a Republican, but... Well, he wasn't until he decided to run for election. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was the party that made more sense to say the awful stuff. Right. Um, the other strange thing is... I'm trying to think of how to put this, like... 
because you know that was the New Deal was still new then, like Social Security and all that. Uh huh. So you know you get characters in the book talking about how oh Jesus the government's coming in they're taxing us and they're making it hard for employers to do things and basically all the talking points that are going on now you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know Social Security and all that was new. We know in hindsight now that they had like forty something years where America prospered because of the. The new deal. Oh, it was a good. It was a good idea. It I mean, saved the country. You it know, saved the country. Right. I mean, every, everybody from my grandparents to my parents had so many more opportunities than people do now. Yeah. Because of it, it saved, it saved the fucking country, and they want to get rid of every little scrap of it. Well, I mean, and that all started in the seventies, you know, and then really got cemented in the eighties with Reagan. And mm-hmm. so we've had since the eighties when Reagan actually started enacting these policies that would basically start rescinding parts of the New Deal. And liberal ideas, etc. Um, so we, we've had all that time now, which is what's 40 years, I guess, to see how much shit the country can turn into. <laughs> you know? yeah. And yet people are still mouthing the same things that they mouthed back in 1935 <laughs> about how, you know, it's, it's socialist, it's evil, it's bad. <laughs> you know? Like, that's just people laying around while we pay for them, stuff like that, you know? Like, yeah, they're still making the same arguments, even though we've got proof that it worked for forty years until they, they took it apart. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I mean, oh man. So you're just sitting there making yourself depressed, then? It's well, this this is just interesting, you know. I mean, because mm. I didn't realize much in the way that I didn't realize that back in the days of the Spanish flu, there were anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers and shit back then. Oh yeah, I, I I heard some stuff about that while ours was going on. People would bring that up. Right, like I didn't realize that. Oh, this is just it's history repeating. Like there's oh, always yeah. there are there are always going to be these assholes around. Yeah, like George Lucas said, it rhymes. It's poetry. Oh yeah, how's your May the Fourth? <laughs> it was fine. I put up some old, like, some of my first comic drawings from my old handwriting tablets where I would draw all the scenes from Empire Strikes Back. Nice. <laughs> and I, you can, I mean, I wasn't doing it as a joke, but those, those, those pages are pretty funny. I had some pretty good comic timing for somebody that didn't know he was being funny. Because <laughs> I have, like, I have like a big close up of of, uh, of Lando Calrissian and he's going, "Hey, Han Solo!" And in the next page, it says, "Lando led them into a trap." <laughs> and it's just, oh, and I was like, "Oh man, that, I would laugh out loud if I did that today." <laughs> I that's um, a seven year old kid doing that. Yeah, well, you didn't know any better. You, you didn't know there were rules that you had to follow. And thus, hey, you, and thus you were free. Yeah. Um, I went down a rabbit hole that started off with Donnie and Marie and ended up with me watching the, the whole holiday special, which I've never done. Oh, that's a tough one, because it drags at the end. It drags all the way through it. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's true. That's true. That, I... That... That frickin' B. Arthur Cantina, speaking of World War Two, <laughs> that that little song thing at the end is weird. 
that's just out of a weird show. That's a weird ending. Well, it's, I guess it's not technically the ending, but it's, yeah. uh, it's a it's weird. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Mostly, I kept asking myself while watching because you know, like I said, I've never watched it all the way through. I've seen clips, of course. Everybody's seen clips. Yeah. Like the highlights and the weird parts and stuff, mostly. But like, I, I didn't know Harvey Corman was in it. Oh, he's in it a lot. Yeah, a bunch of different characters. Um, I didn't know Art Carney was in it. You know, uh, I did. Except when I was, a, I remember him being in it, but I, as a kid, not I remembered not know, knowing who Art Carney was. Oh, see, I I grew up watching reruns of Honeymooners and stuff. So yeah, um, but I, I don't. I never saw this as a kid. So, um. Okay, so okay, I gotta, I'm sorry, I gotta go. He's here. Oh, all right. That was short but sweet. Yeah, I love you, buddy. Well, have a good time at FCBD Day Library, Memphis. Okay. Bye. Bye.